You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to Practically Pastoring. I am here. My name is Frank up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I am here with my friend in Baltimore, Maryland, Jeff Simpson. Hey, hey. And then down in Florida, we got our buddies, Andrew Larson. Greetings and salutations. And Timothy Miller. Hello, world. Delmar is out um, on job. On assignment. He's on assignment right now. Uh, So he won't be able to join us today, but... Uh, we're here we, we, we on President's Day. No one knows why we celebrated, but we're here celebrating President's Day. Happy President's and- Day, Papa Joe. Hey, call no man father. Listen. We're, we're rooting for you. As an American, it is our job to cheer for you. Also, <laughs> as someone that has four kids, if your stimulus package gets checked, gets passed, I'm going to buy a new car. Bro, cha-ching. Oh, yeah. You. Sorry about yeah. that, great-grandkids. Sorry about that, great grandkids, but Daddy wants eighty four hundred dollars. So, so, so Andrew, Andrew is saying if the stimulus package for some reason doesn't work, he's going to say hashtag not my president, <laughs> <laughs> and he's going to be riding a moped around. I will stick with my thirteen year old Hyundai. Hey, yeah. speaking of uh, vehicles, uh, Jeff, you opened a can of worms that really intrigued some people. Um, I like you... to be a man of mystery. So we talked we talked about um there was this meme going around in another Facebook group about like you know young pastors being ambitious but changing the bulletin will get them fired. And so you mentioned something about how you had to sell the church's uh boat and got in trouble for it. Yes. There's so, so many there's questions. T- there's so many questions. One of which is why does a church have a boat? <laughs> Legitimate question. Well, it you're was in Florida, it, so it's for the it, Super Bowl parties. Right? It was in Florida. Parties. Well, it was actually for reaching the youth. Uh, that was the <laughs> stated purpose. Clearly. To which I said, I feel like I can reach people without the risk of drownings in a more effective way. So I'm not really interested in – I'm not a boat guy. Like, I don't know how to drive a boat, and I'm certainly not going to learn with your children in the boat um, <laughs> as a youth pastor. But the short story is that I came to this church uh, with some – with. Uh, other staff members that were part of a team. And when we got there, we found out there was a boat and that the elders had already decided to sell the boat at some point. And during, as I brought that discussion up, because I was now the worship and youth pastor and the uh, sound equipment was really, really outdated. And I thought, Hey, we have a boat we're not using. We need sound equipment, sell the boat, get some sound equipment. It makes sense, right? So I brought this up, and they were like, oh, yeah, we agreed to sell that. It hasn't been used for, like, I don't know, at least three years, maybe more. And it's got a bunch of stuff wrong with it. And so we're, you know, yeah, go ahead and sell. Let us know what happens. And in in a couple emails where I was, like, getting ideas for how much this boat was worth, I guess it's a a brand name Ski Boat. Uh, And the factory for that company is in Orlando. And so is it, it was, is it Nautique? It is Ski Nautique. Yeah. A guy I went yeah. to college with is the vice president of that company. Okay. Because... So here, here's how the wild story <laughs> ensues, right? So the church had a gym, the church had a gym, obviously, obviously. And the, a guy emailed the church asking, Hey, are you still hosting the boy scouts? Uh, what's the thing where they race the little wooden cars, boxcar derby, boxcar derby. I said, I don't know, but I'll find out. So I figured out who in the church was involved in that in years past. It was one of the elders. We emailed the guy back and said, yeah, you can come and see. I think we still have some of the box boxcar stuff in the gym in this one closet or whatever. And this elder noticed that that man's signature was from Ski Nautique, like his email signature. So he on his own reached out to him and said, hey, we have this boat. We're looking to sell it. What do you think it's worth? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm getting CC'd in all these emails, and I'm kind of just like, oh, cool. This is happening. I'm not really worried about it, whatever, because the board has already decided. So then the guy says, well, you know, we fix up boats for churches for free. So we'll fix the boat up completely for free. Pause, 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 pause. Why? (laughs) (laughs) This doesn't make sense. So he fixes up boats for churches. Ski Nautique. Ski Nautique, as part of their charitable, like, work, will fix... If a church owns a ski nautique, which is apparently a thing, they will fix those and get them up to up to speed. 
So there's no multiple pun intended. churches. There's multiple churches that own books. I guess so, That's man. Crazy. I don't know. Anyway, All of Central Florida is one giant skiable lake. It is. It is. So it, it it's a little more makes sense when you live in Central Florida because there's lakes everywhere. That's like you guys having a venison dinner in Wisconsin, Frank. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah. It's just what you do. Yeah, cheese okay, everywhere. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, so they so then that delays the selling of the boat because we're going to get it fixed now and we're on their timeline. So it's like six months goes by, nothing happens. Finally, the boat is in perfect shape. It's worth sixty grand at this point, and I'm thinking, wow, dude, sweet, we are going to make sixty G's, even if we only get forty. Like we're going to be able to not only get sound equipment but some other great stuff for the church. And at that point, then the a few of the elders got together and decided they did not want to sell it and they never, and they did the whole, I never wanted to, I was pressured into it and it turned into this big thing. And at the end of my time there, that, that was kind of one of the things that was a negative on my record that I pushed to sell the boat. So that's kind of the short version of it. It was a big disappointment and it was a wild that the church had a boat. I don't know if the church has used the boat since I've been gone. I don't know, but <laughs> do you regret pushing to sell the boat now? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> No, no. I think it was the right thing to do. Um, but, you know, it's not it's not my call. So it is what it is. But, yeah, that's a frustrating thing. I mean, it was a long, weird, winding road to get to. Yeah, well, it took like a year and a half for that whole thing to happen. It sounds like that your church in Florida was a boat-driven church. But, hey, we as a group is reading a book called Gospel-Driven Church. Oh, well done. And, uh, well done, Before we go into our clergy cliff notes, I would love to know. I feel like that would be in an Answers in Genesis. Uh, kids, <laughs> that transition. That was that, that was, was sloth-like. Yes. Well, boats go on water and Christians are persecuted. So what, what do we expect? <laughs> Hey, so I'm uh, I'm enjoying this book. I will say that there's like this, like um, you know, if it's a fictional church or if it's a real church that is like a case study or whatever, sometimes it like kind of takes me out of like the book a little bit. I'm like, oh yeah, tell me more about these elders at Life Point or whatever. But this is a really interesting. I mean, I've I've been enjoying it a lot. What have y'all's thoughts about the book have been so far? Yeah, I just I just finished it about a week week and a half ago. Um, you know, I appreciate it. I mean, I, I really do. I have all my elders reading through it. My staff's reading through it right now as well. We've got a big retreat coming up. Where we're going to be discussing it. Um, I think there's, there's pros and cons there. I think there's a little bit of a, of a snarky tone at times when, when you're reading through it. Um, but I appreciate the honesty. Um, I'm not a huge fan of like name dropping and calling out specific people without full context of what's been said. Like the Andy Stanley call out in there was like a, okay, like I'd have to go back and research that a little bit. But for the most part, I've been pretty challenged by it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to having the conversation with, with our book clubbers, as well as with my, my elders and staff in a couple of weeks. I really like the cover art. And it's on my, uh, it's in my Audible account as the next one to finish. Ironically, I've got to finish an Andy Stanley book first. So <laughs> that's funny. Oh man, yeah, I've been thought, I've been enjoying it so far. I mean, I finished it a couple days ago on Audible. I'll probably run through it one more time uh, because I I tend to like when I'm listening to a book, I tend to be doing something else too, like painting or woodworking or cooking or I don't know, just Man kind of stuff. Other, yeah, other stuff. And um, so I probably will run through it one more time. But there was definitely a few points where I disagreed. Um, I definitely think there is a specific uh, sort of, you know, there's a specific theological stream that he's coming from in a few of his points, which is fine. I mean, every book's going to have that. Um, so, I mean, at the very least, I'm definitely going to have my elders read it with me again. And then uh, even if you disagree with stuff, like I said last week, it's good to because it forces you to go back and understand why you disagree and be able to articulate that, which is always helpful. I think especially as elders. You know, if you're the one called to teach and explain stuff, it's always good to be doing that sharpening. So I made sure my my worship director knew that um, I didn't <laughs> choose this book and, as, as a way to like, that's see, good. this is why. Because like I said, you're going to get to a chapter that's going to be about song selection and worship services. I promise that it was not a shot at you. I'm, I'm actually thankful for how you go about selecting songs. So I was able to to prep her before she got to that chapter. No, dude, I, it as definitely, I went through it, I was like, oh no, she's going to think this is like pastor taking a shot. I'm like, no. Nope, passive aggressive pastor. It, yeah, de exactly. it definitely made me like relive some, some 
intense stuff where I, I have definitely felt that like, hey, I didn't sign up for this as the worship pastor. You're changing the game on me. Uh, so I, I kind of felt bad for the worship pastor and this stuff. And hey, the youth pastor and the children's pastor were, were a little overconfident. We're already doing everything perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited. I mean, there, I, lo- I think one of the more valuable things was like, you know, coming into a mega church world, when we have these discussions about metric metrics, it's like, okay, that's when people start using that phrase, we count because every person counts or whatever, you know. And so like, I like numbers now because you can like, you can see whether you're hitting your goals and stuff like that. But I actually do appreciate some of these like uncalculable metrics that will help you kind of figure out yeah. whether your people are actually growing as disciples. And so I'm excited to talk about that. And so for everyone listening um, on the March 1st podcast, instead of having the podcast, I think we're going to have a Facebook live. And so we'll let you know about the specific time and when to expect that, but it's going to be on Monday, March 1st. And we, and so for those of you who are reading this book with us, we can't wait to talk to you about it. So with that being said, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to enter into our clergy cliff notes. Be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However, you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, welcome back. We are going to dive into a clergy cliff notes. And as I was thinking about all the different kind of pastoral stuff that's happened in our world in the past week, sadly, I don't think there's anything bigger than the than the revealings of the um, what's the, the investigation of Ravi Zechariah and the sexual abuse scandal. And so, um, you know, Christianity Today kind of first broke the story a while back, and then Ravi Zechariah's ministries did a uh, uh, kind of third-party investigation. And I don't know if you guys did this. I actually read the 12 or 14-page document. And, I mean, <clears throat> it was it was depressing, honestly. Like, it was just super, super sad. So, long story short, Ravi Zechariah, very well-known apologist, um, had uh, hid hundreds of photos of uh, different masseuses from uh, massage therapy places that he owned in, I believe, Georgia, right? And then um, some masseuses overseas, some sexting was involved. And it it just kind of like just exemplifies kind of all the allegations that were made by that one woman who was in Canada who was – who felt like he was being – she was being like kind of groomed by Ravi. And so – one thing that kind of I left with after I read that report, that twelve-page report, was that the report isn't like even super in depth. Like it just kind of focused on a few people in a few places, which leads me to think there might be other victims and other situations that like the scope is just way too big. You know what I'm saying? And and it it just made me even more sad. Um, and so right now, uh, you know, the court of opinion on Twitter and everyone else. It's kind of like there's two arenas, right? There's there's one arena that tends to be probably the more of like the Ravi apologists who are kind of saying, you know, hey, he's a sin, he's a sinner like me. Look at David, you know, we can't d- discredit his work from from because of his sin or whatever. And then there's the other side. It's like he's an, he's an abuser. Like we shouldn't be associated with him. The organization should shut down. Or at least rename itself, and 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 like his 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 name is tarnished. Also because of the fact that we have no credible example of um, of repentance in his life when this all happened. So, anyways, I say all that to say this is I I I, I want to say I feel conflicted. I actually don't feel very conflicted by this. I feel like sad because Ravi Zechariah was a guy that like I revered. Like I I read his stuff. I. I used his arguments in debates. Like I would share his stuff with other people. And, um, but at the same time, like I'm, I'm like, <clears throat> I'm like disgusted by the stuff he did. Not in like a, 
self-righteous way, just more of like a as a human, it's disgusting. As a human, it's disgusting, right? And so, I don't know. I wanted to hear from you guys. I also want to hear specifically from Jeff because I know, Jeff, this is kind of a touchy situation for you because your denomination um, licensed him, right? Is that, the, is that the correct wording? Licensed or ordained? Both, but yes. Both. And so so this is kind of a specific issue that's even more nuanced for you. So um, we'd love to hear you guys' thoughts as we process this and we think through the, the Ravi how you know if if you've had people in your in your circle have asked you questions about this and your thoughts i would love to hear your thoughts about it i guess i've just wondered do you guys feel the need to have an opinion here because there's been some churches and pastors in in our area down here in sunny tampa bay where they've been there's like full on blog posts and major discussions and podcasts all centered around this topic and i've i really been pretty quiet i haven't felt the need to publicly say anything about it but I've seen other pastors in the area. And so I'm just like, is that a thing? Should I feel compelled to have a take on this, like in the public arena? Like, do we need to speak up every time a celebrity pastor fails? Because if so, we better have a lot of copy and paste uh, statements ready to make because I mean, what, what, we're 23 episodes into this podcast, something like that. And we've had to have this conversation multiple times already. So by my math, that's four times a year if it's happening twice in 23 episodes. So uh, it's, I think it's, it's, it's different. I think than the last conversation we had, because this isn't a young man who was immature and you know, what's the, the Driscoll quote that, that I like to use the, his character needs to catch up to his skill set or whatever, or whatever that was. This is, no, this is a guy who is in his seventies acting like this and he's not a pastor of one church, but he's got this international ministry. And again, I, I am not putting out anything on any personal social media or blog sites of mine. Our church is not making a statement about it, but I think it hits a little bit differently than when a mega church pastor turns out not when any pastor forget mega church when a local church pastor turns out to be a skis ball because i think for a lot of evangelicals ravi and then the the international ministry as a whole was almost like a unofficial vatican slash bible college you know this is a pillar that we can all point to so i think it hurts a little bit more than just than a pastor falling but you know, it's, it's gross. Uh, Tim, what you said, I think for me, it, it plays into the celebrity culture that I think is such a problem right now among Christians, because I, I don't see pastors making these public statements when your average nobody pastor fails. They only do it when these big pastors fail, which tells me that they value the celebrity status of that pastor and so it's like we we don't even realize how much we've bought into the celebrity pastor thing, even internally as evangelicals. But in these situations, it's like we're only talking about the ones who were famous. But you know, not to be too cynical, but there's a lot I'm, there's a lot of pastors who are nobodies who've failed and done things like this, um, and have and have abused power. And I mean, the Houston Chronicle article talking. Uh, I mean, if you watch uh, Netflix, The Keepers. That's about Roman Catholics, but it's it's the same stuff. It's abuse of power. It's using your power uh, to be predatory. And do I think that it escalates as your power increases? Yes. Um, but in the end, I think it's the same sin. I mean, a, a local pastor of a small church has influence over those people in his church um, and maybe even in his neighborhood as the, you know, known as the pastor in some, in some you know, areas of the country. So he can abuse that power in in that way. And, you know, pastors around him aren't making these public statements. I just, I mean, I I don't feel the need to make public statements about stuff. You know, I mean, we've talked about this before. It's like there there are conversations I have with friends out in, you know, the public and like in the restaurant or whatever. And there are conversations I have inside my house with my wife. And they're not always the same thing. There are conversations I have inside the house with my wife that I'm not going to have out in the mall. But, and I think it's the same thing for a pastor. Like there's conversations you need to have with your people within the confines of your church community that, that don't need to be said in front of everybody. So for me, because like you said, Frank, we are connected uh, because of Ravi's credentials. 
Um, I actually got off the phone this morning with with a member who's, you know, well, I wouldn't say distraught, but but is per- feeling pretty hurt by this um, personally because of some connections and and just some history and because of the connection in the alliance. And so I was just on the phone with her for a while processing that. And so it made me realize, you know, I probably need to, after the live stream is over and everybody's still kind of in the room, I probably need to say, hey, I know you've heard about this. I've heard about it too. And if you want to talk about it, you know, I, I, I want you to know that I want to talk to you about it and walk with you through it as much as I can. But I don't feel a need to write some public statement on where we stand. I wonder if there's like, um, um, there's a sense that like, because Ravi was so respected amongst certain circles that there was this need, uh, you know, even though like people didn't want, even if people aren't necessarily connected with him, there was this need to defend him or not necessarily justify him, but to, to kind of acknowledge like, Oh, we're all sinful. Look at David. Da, 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 da. Because like, they're almost like imposing what they hope happens to them. If they had the same kind of failure, you know what I'm saying? And, and and I and I and I feel like that's dangerous, right? Like I feel like that's like, are you kind of predicting your own fall here, and you're kind of like, kind of casting out some sort of like uh, what you hope happens to you? I th- I do think you're right. I do think guys think you're all right. It's like I don't feel any need publicly. Like I've not when 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 all this stuff has come out, and even with Carl Lentz, it's like I didn't. I, I had this conversation with you guys on the podcast because this is what I feel like is like a in house conversation, right? Like, I don't feel like it's necessary for me to broadcast stuff like this about this on Twitter or in, or Instagram or whatever, just because it's like, I don't know if my opinion matters. And also, I want to be able to develop an opinion in my own heart of like, what does it even mean? And I feel like a lot of us are rushing to like, I got to make a statement. And like, I understand like there, there are some people who made statements on Twitter because they were praising him at his funeral. And now they feel like they're being attacked because of the fact that they just acknowledge their influence at his death. And so it's kind of complicated. And I like how Andrew said, like, Ravi Zechariah is more of an institution than just an individual leader, simply because, I mean, his influence, his influence over evangelicalism is even is way broader than Carl Lentz or a uh, or some other kind of even mega church pastor who just happens to be at a really large church. Well, I, I think that's why, why it's tough. I think a big part of that is and I'm not throwing any shots at any church or any denomination, but no one is going to accuse Carl Lentz of being an academic. No one is going to uh, is going to accuse him of being, you know, this super thoughtful intellectual giant. Um, whereas it's different with Ravi. So the the branch of the church is like, you no, know, this emotional, this attractive, you know, smoke and lasers, that's not what's going to bring people in. This is pure thought. This is re- reason. This is logic. We are going to use God-given abilities to articulate thought, and that's what's going to convince people. And so I think that's kind of what's a bit of – a harsher reality for so many people because the guy that the guy that looks like he's just trying to be a celebrity and oh the way that I became a celebrity was through the church dope I'm in um that's the guy that you expect to fall the old guy who your grandpa really likes who's an engineer is not the one who you would expect to fall in this way and then the the old guy card I think is something that we need to talk about because we're all in our 30s Oh, I think and, that card was played here and and used in a predatory yeah, manner. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think a lot of us, and I don't know, I don't know how you guys were in college. I remember having a conversation with a, a senior when I was a freshman, talking about you know stuff going away and like, well, eventually we'll grow out of this sin problem or we'll grow out of that sin problem. And no, that that's not that's not the case. Like you. There's parts of you that aren't going to grow up and aren't going to change unless you really, really do the hard work. Yeah, not just the... by not just by time alone. Exactly. Yeah, like it, it takes consciously leaning in to the Holy Spirit. You know, this is that work out your salvation with fear and trembling part. That just because you're old and can you know and and wear a suit instead of skinny jeans doesn't mean that you are any less susceptible to the same sin of a much younger person. That's a good take, Andrew. And Jeff, I agree 
I think you, you took a pastoral approach and how to handle this with your congregation. I think that was really wise. I just, I get this idea when I see other churches, it almost feels like clickbait. Like I'll read the, the title of what they want me to click on. I'm Dude, like, and oh, it just guys, makes it, you it think like, oh, I got to do it too. Yeah. And then I feel that yeah. pressure. I'm like, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel pastoral or loving. It just feels like here's how I can get an easy hit on my blog as opposed to your, your approach, Jeff, which is, Hey, I talked to my congregation afterwards. We turned off the live stream or, you know, I sent out an email to just our members and said, if you'd like to chat about it, I'm, I'm available. I, I appreciate that. Well, it, it also, it feels a little bit like when you preach for the first time, you know, you're the youth pastor or whatever, and you get the chance in the congregation for the first time and you are saying these strong prophetic things like you're, you know, like your preaching idol says, because you know that the people in the room are going to be like, yeah, I like that. That's what that stuff feels like to me. It feels like it's, it's intended for insiders, but it's cloaked in the language of this is a public statement for outsiders, but it's really intended for your, your base, so to speak, or people that you know are already feeling what you're articulating to be like approving of you and it a lot of it just it does feel like it's coming down to to people pleasing and so much of it is this is what's wrong with the celebrity pastor culture Uh also i really hope this post becomes popular so that i can become a celebrity pastor because (laughs) get a book deal yeah yeah if i just write about things that deal with my congregation of two three four hundred people that's never gonna you know get me on but if i make myself the expert on this i think you know we're we're on a podcast, you know. We're we're here, we're talking into microphones. There's a certain bit of every one of us that's like, "Hey, what I have to say should be heard by more than just my people," which is a dangerous feeling to ever have. But I think that's why a whole lot of people want to talk about this when it's a big name because they know more people will listen if they're talking about the big name. And we want to be the first person to have that specific take. You know, I, I want to be the expert in this field so that the next time it happens, people will come to me because I want, you know, it's, it's the very vicious cycle and it's scary. Um, I, I want to wrap this up. I, I'm actually really encouraged that the conversation didn't go this place. Cause one thing I've been seeing online is like people saying like, well, well, men, you know, Follow the Billy Graham rule. Don't be alone with a woman. Da 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 da. And and one thing I'm, I, you know, I'm seeing people respond to that is like, or just don't objectify women and like yeah, don't, don't, don't be a creep. Don't be a creep and like, because like even and like you know we could, I want to talk about this maybe one day when we talk about this is like in the Billy Graham rule, it comes from a position of women are objects. It's like we have to we can't be alone with them because man we're just uncontrollable. They're seductresses. We, yeah, and I think like uh, I think there, there's more conversation to this, and I think also what I would love to do uh, uh, is have a woman on the podcast to yes. talk about this too. And I think that's the conversation. Is a lot of men are talking about what other men should be doing without actually having a conversation with a woman, where it's like. There, there's a long conversation we had about power dynamics and all that stuff. And I mean, that's something that's come up over and over. But it also needs to be said, like, yes, women are not objects. And like the world shouldn't have to basically be like set up rules in place for men who are still boys. Like that's not the solution. But at the same time, you know, we it's easy to say, yeah, just don't be a creep. But part of repentance and walking in openness is to also admit that there are still some of those things in me and you know that old saying but for the grace of god there go i like i wrote down in my notes on this saying i would never is poison because you could you could and also saying he would never which is i think why a lot of us are shocked by this because we had in our mind this honestly kind of idolatrous idea that oh well that that guy could never i mean carl lentz i kind of get it i mean look at him he's cool but like ravi zacharias he would never but there is nobody who would never. My my thing, my buddy called me like when the report came out and he was a, a guy who just loved Ravi and he was just devastated. And I said, is it bad that my initial take is God keep me in a little church forever because, you know, and which is sad because anybody who abuses any power or influence they have is is just as wicked and just as sinful, but most of the time it's not going to do as much damage to the name of Christ and to the gospel as what's been done here. 
I, you know, my first time that came to my mind was when I visited Andrew and Tim, when I visited you guys and I saw like how you guys are doing ministry and stuff like that. My, my biggest takeaway when I left you, you guys was saying like, I don't know if I want to be a mega church pastor after this. Like, I don't know if I want to, I, I think I would love to have a small congregation and be faithful to them and like have a secure retirement plan. Like you guys, <laughs> let, and, me, let me tell you about the joys of the evangelical <laughs> covenant church. Cause but, but but even beyond that, it's like it's like I think we're all agreeing. It's like big church or a small church, you could still be dumb, right? Yeah. But like at the same time, it's like not having that risk of like that thirst for a th- like fame is like kind of becoming more enticing than ever. You know, trying to see if I can get into a church that's larger. So I don't know. We should we should we should explore and suss this conversation out a little more because I think I think there's a lot there. So let's take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about our main discussion, especially about something that happened to me this past Sunday. So we'll be right back. Welcome back. And so let me open up our main discussion by sharing a story of what happened to me this past Sunday. So uh, on, on a Sunday morning, I have to preach between two locations three times. So I go from my West Dallas location to this other campus called Sherman Park and then back to my West Dallas location. And so when I got to the Sherman Park location, I get up to preach, and about 10, about eh, maybe like eight minutes into my sermon, there's a man that I see get up from the back of the room and go all the way down the side aisle to the very front wall that's like parallel to where I'm standing. And so he's in my peripheral, and everybody in the audience can see him. Like so he's like at, at the him. edge of the stage against like, the wall. Kind of. Yeah, he's not yeah. on the stage, but he's on the wall, the back wall that's like right next to the stage, playing with a thermostat. And so the context is it's like um, the boiler is not working, so we're using like space heaters to heat up the space right now. But he he's for some reason tinkering with the thermometer. By the way, I don't know who he is. Thermostat, I'm sorry. I don't know who he is. And he's not like a regular attender at our church. He then goes to the back of the room and tinkers with some window that's by the soundboard goes all the way back across to the other side of the room and goes to the front of the room into a door into the green room. And the problem is the worship artist, the worship band did not close the door to the green room. So I hear him begin to talk to himself and the whole room can hear him talking. One of our like deacons in the church gets up, goes in that room, starts talking to him and they're having a full blown conversation at like full breath. Like they're not like whispering. <laughs> then Someone else, the service host, gets up in the in there and just closes the door to the green room that's on the stage. All the while, I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, so I just preach louder. You just power I'm through. Not like, I'm just like, I'm going to speak louder so you get less distracted because I, I can see their eyes and they're not on me. And so there was a brief second where I was like stumbling in my sermon, but I was like, I'm just going to power through. This is where all my youth ministry training came in. Yes. Right? So I'm just like powering through this. And then, and then well, we know the sermon's and, not going on the website. Yeah, well, yeah I yeah. haven't seen any clips so, of this one yet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's good. That's good. It's coming. There are clips. Okay, okay. Um, but uh, so I find out he's homeless. Um, the campus pastor who was who is the campus pastor of this campus actually spoke to him right before the service, so he wasn't worried about him. I did find out later that he also didn't have shoes. Like he was walking around in his socks, which kind of made me sad in, the, in some regard. So so my question to you is this, because as I was sharing this with other pastors, they were all sharing with me like, oh, I was in a situation where there was a toddler in the front row that was coming on the stage and the mom didn't do anything about it. So, they, so, the, so the speaker actually picked up the kid, preached for another sec, few seconds, and then handed the kid to the, to the mom in the front row. And so I just wanted to know from you guys, like when you have distractions – and stuff like that. Hey, what what kind of crazy destruction happened to you? But B, do you have anything in place? A security team, deacon, someone that helps deal with those issues so that when you're on stage preaching, you don't have to like interrupt the service. Yeah, we have a really unique situation at Lakeview because we are surrounded. Uh, three sides of our building is glass, including behind me. And it overlooks our 36 acres, huge lake behind us. So Natural wildlife is a very, very real thing for us, turkeys, gators. So two weeks ago, uh, we had a turkey decide to start – look, I've got my kids distracting me right now in the background. We had, a, we had a turkey actually decide to start pecking the glass, and it started on one side, 
It went all the way down, went behind me, and then went up the other side. Yeah, baby. Yeah, go ahead. Shut the door for daddy. This podcast is real life, people. And the turkey then pecked every single piece of glass behind me. So I just watched the congregation's heads and eyes follow the turkey all the way around the sanctuary. And I did not address it once until the sermon was over and I said something about distractions. Like I didn't know what else to do but just preach on. Like There was just nothing I could do. In what I like moment. to do is say something outrageous and see if anybody says anything to me about it at the end of the service. Just kidding. I'm <laughs> just kidding. No, I haven't had anything like that happen to me too bad as a preacher, but as a worship pastor, um, I was at a service once leading with a band and uh, somebody, we were at a very, I hope nobody takes offense at this, a very Pentecostal church and somebody got slain in the spirit and they were laying out in the middle of the, like in the middle of the floor and it was pretty wild. So we just, we just, we were young. We didn't know what to do. So we just powered through and kept playing the songs. But uh, I have had, and I, I do think, Frank, part of this is the dynamics of how big the room is and how big your church is. So in a smaller church, sometimes, um, I, I read somewhere, there, there is some um, psychological uh, stuff that happens in a bigger room where you expect things to be more formal, the bigger the room is. So in a very small room, some of those things are a little bit easier to kind of let slide, and it's not as big of a deal. In smaller churches, I'm guessing it's more common to have somebody... Like say, hey, pastor, can I share something? Because that's happened multiple times in my three years here. And it's like there's nowhere to go. You, if you say no, I mean, where are you going to go from that? You're just you're just a bad guy. So you kind of have to say yes and pray that they don't say anything crazy. Uh, but here we had a lady. I when I first came, like my second week here, you know, I'm I'm the new senior pastor. I'm pretty nervous. And I make some joke about, you know, take your Bible out, or if you have a phone, go ahead and get that out. And she, for whatever reason, she was playing in the worship band. She was playing flute, and uh, she got up from her seat. Slow, she's an older lady. Slowly, kind of made her way down the center aisle, up on the stage. Tried to squeeze between the speaker stand and the wall, and the speaker was kind of like wobbling. And she scooted her way over to where her purse was on the stage got her phone out and then scooted all the way back down, <laughs> down off the stage, all the way halfway down the aisle and sat back down in her chair because I said something about get your phone. So, I mean, <laughs> I remember in my preaching class, uh, my father-in-law who's been on here before was my preaching professor. And he said, there just comes a time when it's like some things you can ignore. And then there's a, a, a switch that happens where you, you, you can't ignore it and you're better off to try to use humor or something to just mention it. Uh, and so, you know, there's been times when I've just like, if a baby's crying real loud, you just say like, Hey, it's okay. I hear it too. And you just keep going. It almost gives people permission to be like, Oh, okay. We're all, we all see that. Right. And then we can keep going. Cause there's this tension in the room where it's like, everybody's acting like we don't know what's happening, but we all do know what's happening, but we're going to act like we don't. And that's where it's like really awkward. So yesterday, um, after our, after our band was done, we all pulled out, uh, after they were done rehearsing, we all pulled out our phones to check the weather app because we were having some bad weather, but it looked like we were going to be clear for a couple hours. And we've been putting a big old, like 70 inch TV out on the front steps of our church and then setting up some chairs outside for some of our members that want to be at church, but aren't comfortable yet being inside. And one guy in the band's like, I don't know, man, my weather app that I trust says that, you know, there's this one little pocket that we're probably going to get. And, but we all looked at the different apps, like we're good. We'll be fine. So we put the TV out, we put six or eight chairs outside and um, the whole service or, you know, the whole first half of the service, there's no issue. And three minutes into the sermon, there's just this crack of lightning (laughs) and it starts like like it went from nothing to full on monsoon. Somebody turned a faucet on in the sky. So so they all start bringing in the chairs and the TVs like, you know, it's like there's like a four, a four foot roof overhang that the TV's under. So the TV's not getting rained on, but it's like full on monsoon. And so finally I was like, you know what? I'm not going to preach right now. No one's paying attention to me. guys. We got to get that TV in. And so, uh, so that was, that was yesterday. And that, but that we have, we're not, we're the opposite of Tim. Whereas Tim is three sides of his building are glass. One side of my building is glass, but it's the back of the building. So I can see out to the, to the street. And when everybody else is looking at me, they can't see out. So that was yesterday. The biggest 
and I think there's a difference between a distraction that everybody can see and a distraction that the preacher only can see. The biggest one of my career at my previous church, um, it was, I was starting to preach quite a bit, but I was still kind of newish to it. So let's say overall was maybe my eighth or 10th time ever preaching at this, at this church. And there was a visitor at our traditional service and our traditional service over the summers would be 85, 90 people. Once all the snowbirds were here, because Florida, it would be a, a packed room. But over the summer, it was a very sparse room. And she was sitting in like the second row. So, you know, when you're going around the room to make your eye contact, she's the only person in that quadrant. And she starts nursing without a cover there in the, you know, very, very front of the room where there's no one else around her. And the child that she's nursing is probably two and a half. So big enough to pull his head off, look around, wave, play with a toy. And so just like Tim is doing right now. And so I am, you know, trying my hardest to not make eye to nipple contact. And, um, it's, you know, it, I have four kids. I have a wife. I, I get it. I don't want to ever shame a nursing mother by all means feed your child, but she's sitting so far away from anybody else. I am the closest person to her by 10 feet easy. And she's paying attention and just tracking along. I'm like, I can't look to that third of the room anymore. And that was incredibly distracting for me and nobody else saw it, but yeah, it was distracting. Trying to avoid eye to nipple contact. I mean, that's good advice for. I mean, for any anybody communicating. Any that quote is going on. Yeah, that quote is going on Instagram for sure. Um, so you know what's funny is like, like I went to a church in Tampa where, um, where there was like women breastfeeding in the service all the time, and it was just like it was it was like you're like you Andrew. It's like you can't. You just got like, okay, well, for the next five, ten minutes, however long, I'm going to not look over there because I can't do it. But one time, there was, like, right before I left, there was this movement within our church to convince women to wear head coverings. And there were, like, this, like, whole headship thing that was kind of, like, going through my church. It was really weird because my church didn't believe that or wasn't, like, super into that. But there were, like, head coverings. The godly women – the one homeschool mom that, that yep. read First Corinthians. Yep, it's a thousand percent the homeschool family. But 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 <laughs> I remember one time I was in service and this couple, his, his, the husband and his wife with the head covering was on, and I, and I was watching them and I was I was sitting behind them, just watching the service. I wasn't preaching, and the husband goes and he's like, you know, massaging his wife's shoulder and then slowly goes up the head covering to like touch her head. <laughs> And I'm like, I know that nothing about this is weird, but it feels weird. Like it feels, it, it feels inappropriate. Oh my gosh! And I'll never forget. Uh. that. I'm like, oh, that just feels weird. Anyways, hey, I, I, this happened a lot more in student ministry. But I, I would be interested if you guys ever happened this. To, this ever happened to you? Um, it might happen to Andrew because Andrew, you're in this unique situation where like. In the size of your church, it could almost be like a call or response type of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, have you ever had like a congregant in the middle of your sermon? You're like on a roll, and then like they shoot their hand in the air, or they just like, well, what about this? And they just ask a question. Like in student ministry, I would just straight up be like, hey, that's a great question. Asking your small group, like that now is not the time. But like that, so far, it hasn't happened to me. There has been like some really over enthusiastic like charismatic folk who have been like that's right and i'm like that pulls me out a little bit but like i power through it but has anyone ever tried to actually talk to you while you're preaching i got amen yesterday because my parents go to my church and i talked about me being an idiot and my dad amen to me so <laughs> that's so good that's i haven't funny. had anyone ask like, a question but i have had uh a leader in the church like right before i'm like I say, let's pray. And he did the like, wait, 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 pastor. I just want to add one thing. And then he like added on to my sermon a little bit. And it was like, at that point, you really can't stop it in the moment because otherwise you just look like a grouch. But like, we definitely had a conversation after. And it's hard because it's like, what am I saying? Like, hey, don't steal my thunder. I mean, but it's more like you just removed all the momentum and like all the, you know, you could have made that point later in a conversation, not why did you do that? So that, 
I think there's also something to be said about distractions that are like silly, make us laugh, throw us off. And then the ones that are like, oh, this could be a safety threat. It was like, that's a whole nother level of distraction. So when I, when I came in as lead pastor, like you church, we had a few that were, um, well, not exactly thrilled by the decision that I was made lead pastor. And so there was one gentleman in particular who I thought had left. Um, he came back and I was, I was nervous. He didn't sit down. He stood in the back of the room. His arms were crossed. I had walked by him at one time and I could, I could smell the alcohol from, you know, like 20 feet away. And he starts pacing while I'm preaching in the back of the room. This was last year. And then he makes a beeline around the back of the sanctuary and starts darting towards the stage. And I, I kept preaching, wasn't sure what to do. I made eye contact with my safety team and I saw them reaching down to like, I thought they were going to grab weapons. And he darted towards the front of the stage, stopped in the front row, sat in the corner, like front corner chair. It's an and aggressive sit down. It was, it was scary, but it was one of those where I had to make eye contact with my safety team. We talked about it afterwards and they said, Tim, we had you, we were ready if he had crossed the front row, we were going to stand up and intervene. But it was one of those moments where it was like, wow, that is how easy. You that said the happen. front row, five rows, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Come on. The front row should be filled with elders and staff so that he can only get to the second row. That's right. Yeah. Lay yourself Never down have, for the man we, of God. We don't have any kind of safety protocol. We we had a, a forum member who, who moved. And, and I missed that guy. He would let me know every week when he was carrying. It's like, when mm-hmm. anything happens, pastor, I got you. Like, okay. okay. In Maryland, it's uh, that's a legal requirement. Uh, like somebody has to let somebody know if they're carrying. But we have a, a woman in the church who is a police officer. And uh, she actually came up to me and said, hey, I've noticed a few things that maybe could be done better. Can I help you with that? And I was like, oh, my gosh, please. Please. Yes. Please do like a full let me know what I need to do. So I think that the moment closest to what you described, Tim, is we did have a guy leave disgruntled. And one of my elders does sit in the back row uh, to, to try to, you know, if somebody comes in late, uh, you know, he try, tries to kind of catch them and, and like welcome them and help them to a seat. Um, but we also have a guy in the lobby. And so one day as I was preaching, I saw, because I can see out the back doors uh, into the lobby. And I saw this guy come in who had left kind of disgruntled. And he started having a pretty loud conversation with the guy in the lobby about totally not church related. And he came into the sanctuary and kind of loudly, and I'm pretty sure it was on purpose to like make a scene and make sure everybody saw that he was there. He loudly like interrupted the the elder that was in the background, asked him to come out into the lobby. turns out he just wanted that elder to help him with fixing his car because that elder is a mechanic. And so it was like, you know, you knew we were in the middle of service during this time. And you chose to come in during that. So it's definitely something you need to, I, I think it's a good, healthy thing to have some kind of plan in place. Like what if, you know, this happened? And if you have a police officer or somebody with security background in your church, definitely tap them to help you with that. Cause they'll see things that you won't see. And some local police precincts will do a security walkthrough with you and point things out to you that are uh, like a, a safety, you know, a weak point. We should do an episode one day about security teams or something because what I've learned is it's kind of nuanced to like every state. Yeah. Because like like what you just said, Jeff, like um Yeah, gun laws are way different. Gun laws are way are. different. And like some churches like are adamant that like churches are houses of peace, no guns whatsoever. And so like th- so like it's kind of complicated. I know our church, we have a lot of law enforcement who go to our church who are like super stoked about like talking to us about this. Um, but like not every church has law enforcement going to their church, you know? So it's like, what does the security team look like when you just have a bunch of engineers? <laughs> you know, like, like how, how do you have that conversation? Or a bunch of retired people because you're yeah. in Florida. Yeah. 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 Th- th- these are important questions to have. This is great guys. Um, I'm glad I'm not the only one who's dealing with like some distractions in the service. Um, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll answer the question of the day. Hey, welcome back. Uh, you know, I was listening to Jeff's 
story about the boat and it just made me think of like what are moments where you know you came in you made a couple changes and you felt like you're about to get fired so i want to hear from you guys what were some moments quickly that you that you had in your church and you know when you got to your church you're like hey let's change this and you had a stern talking to by someone about that what was it i took kids to see an x-men movie and I had like three elders kids and the senior pastor's kids go with me. And someone, this was like the original X-Men movies, like way back, back in the day. So, you know, all of the, the staff kids were in the group that went, but one parent got very upset that Rebecca Romaine Stamos was wearing body paint. And I took them to the movie. That was quite the ordeal. We dropped a communion by intinction. I think that was maybe within my first two weeks of being named lead pastor of Lakeview Church. And I, in hindsight, probably should have warned people in advance before we did that, as opposed to them just uh, showing up on Communion Sunday. And it was not what it had always been you for 25 years. should until the global pandemic made intinction disgusting. Had only, if I had only waited for about four months, I would have been Did fine. you change it to like passing out the elements? Is that what you changed it to? Yeah, yeah. So they came and collected the elements as opposed to coming and doing the rip and dip method and spreading COVID before COVID existed. Jeff, you have another story besides the boat? Uh, I mean, honestly, at this church, no. Shout out to my current church. Like, (laughs) I made a lot of changes, and nobody has been upset about any of them. We even removed the American flag from the sanctuary. Wow. Nobody was mad. We removed kneelers. Nobody was mad. We changed communion from once a month to every week. Nobody was upset. So I'm blessed and highly favored. See, no one got mad when we moved the American flag, but when I got rid of all of this silk trees, the, the old ladies with, are like, What is with the, fake plants the, in the us? Old, the old ladies are like, why? They were so pretty. I'm like, why, do, why would there be a ficus in the middle of the stage? That dust has been collecting there since I was in youth group. <laughs> It's like it's like the, when you get rid of those big banners that say like "Blessed oh, be man. the name of the Lord" or something, and it's like you know some lady Jeff didn't one of your churches Listen, have I'll like a whole room. I'll tell you a story about how not to almost get fired when you remove the banners, and the key is find out who cares about the banners, buy them coffee, and ask them to tell you the story of how the banners were created, and then over the next two or three weeks begin to build a relationship with them, and then ask them, "Hey, would it be okay if we tried something new?" Because the key to making changes is just relationships. So, yeah, well, the church I was at, and one of them in Orlando, uh, thankfully, by that time, I had enough ministry under my belt to know, like, I probably shouldn't just take these out of here and replace them. I should probably ask first. And so I found out who it was. And it turned out that it was his his late wife was the one who created him. And so I asked him to tell me the story about how she created him and all the hours she spent. And then I was able to kind of ask, like, now, so who takes care of him now? And he then he kind of self-realized, well, there's really nobody to take care of him. And they are looking pretty rough. And that's when I finally was able to say, like, hey, is it okay if we try some more modern, you know, printing methods for doing banners? We'll still have the have banners, but they'll just have a newer design. Um, and, you know, we'll be able to continue to honor kind of the spirit of decorating in our sanctuary and, you know, having things look nice, but without it. Uh, and, and it was, it was a really good moment to, and it actually, it bought me a lot of credibility with other folks of his age bracket in the church as well when they found out that we had those conversations. So, well, I, I, I want to share how I almost got fired or I just got in trouble. I didn't almost get fired, but, um, it, we had a guy's video game night. Like I'm sure many of you guys have had as youth pastors and I have a pretty strict, like, you know, it has to be. You know, clean games. I mean, we'll allow Call of Duty and stuff like that because that's kind of our world has been desensitized to like war games and stuff like that. But, um, but I personally, which I didn't share this with anybody, I personally owned Red Dead Redemption. And if you don't know Red Dead Redemption, it's like the country western version of Grand Theft Auto. And I don't play with the kids, it's a single player game. And that's not, and obviously, it's like a pretty hard R game mostly because of the violence and the language and stuff like that. But the game had just come out and the kids saw it on my Xbox and they were like, oh, this game is, I heard the graphics are cool. Can you show us the graphics? And I said, okay, guys, I will show you what the horses look like in this game. But like, we're going to have the game on mute and I'm just going to show you the graphics. 
And so I, I pulled up the game and basically we just spent the next like 20 minutes of me riding the horse off a cliff and just watching like the, the, the physics of a horse and a man jumping off a cliff and stuff like that. And everyone loved it. They thought it was great. Well, a parent picked up a kid. Except for their and parents. They, homeschool the parents. <laughs> I don't think it was a homeschool parent. But Head covering? The parent, no, this is a different <laughs> thing. The parents saw me playing the game and then they told someone and they were like really disappointed because they saw the reviews of Red Dead and saw how hard R it was. So I never had a video game night after that. Needless to say, I'm like, I'm just not going to deal with this. I don't want to have video game nights. And then I stopped being a youth pastor like a year later. So, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, there's lots of like youth ministry moments where I probably got in trouble for doing stuff that was silly, but you can get fired so much easier as a youth pastor. There's like you really can so many like everyday things. Oh, we do this in ministry. Could Actually, get us there were two, fired as two a boys. Pastor. Two boys were playing Magic the Gathering one time in the lobby of the church, and <laughs> I I wasn't like, hey, put that away. That's evil. And a couple elders saw it and got mad, and I had to have a meeting. And it was your fault. But listen, as a worship pastor, simply volume can almost get you fired. <laughs> this, is true. <laughs> this is true. So do you rem- do you remember what youth ministry was like when you were in high school? Like, dude, youth, like uh, we it would was be in impossible. jail. <laughs> it wouldn't. It, it, it was impossible to fire a youth pastor. Yeah, like literally, like we were making kids youth, throw up. My like, youth pastor, my very first year of youth group. I'm in sixth grade. I show up, never been to church before, never been to youth group before. Youth pastor says, "Hey guys." Here's the game. I have a live goldfish. Someone needs to swallow it. And if they throw it back up and it's still alive, I'm going to give you like a $20 Sonic gift card. And I was like, what is this? This is crazy. As the, the senior- old man in the group, I'll be like, you know, we did the thing like where you hook up the jumper cables to the folding chair. <laughs> what? <laughs> my, oh, my, my gosh, man. Like – my campus pastor, who who who, who uh, that that was my boss before before I became a campus pastor, he was a young life leader. So young life is even crazier. They, dude, he had kissing booths. He had kissing booths. He had a fundraiser where he brought all the pretty girls from the next town over and had a kissing booth to raise money for a mission trip. <laughs> dude, Guys, we used to we used to do this happening? game. We used to do this game in youth group where a guy that was you know one of the attractive young men would hide under a blanket and act like he took all his clothes off out by throwing them out from under the blanket. And the, <laughs> and the joke, he would be wearing a second set of clothing underneath. And then, and then they would at the end like, "Oh, we're gonna take the blanket off of him." And what's he wearing? Oh my gosh, is he naked? And they would rip the blanket off, and then he was clothed. And all the girls would be disappointed. You know, it's like, bro, like I feel like the late, the the mid to late eighties into the mid to late nineties is the golden era of evangelical youth ministry of like youth specialties ideas book. So easy, it's nothing but lawsuits. Those books are nothing but lawsuits now. It really is. They're probably case studies at law firms. But, dude, when I went to summer camp as a kid in the boys' dorm, the the guy leaders that were like my parent, my dad's age would just walk out of the shower naked. And it was no big deal. Now, that would never happen now. It's, it's so- when, I, when I was in middle school, my— Why was that my, acceptable? I I went to a church summer camp, and my 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 um, my counselor took his shirt off, and he had nipple rings. And the entire week, we're like, "Let's just rip him out! Let's just rip out his nipple rings!" And we were constantly like oh waking him up in his sleep as we're like pulling on his nipple. Guys, what was youth ministry in the early two thousands and the nineties? Like, how did how did anybody have a job? It's crazy. But dude, the, uh, youth groups were huge back then too. Oh my gosh, man! But like, I wouldn't let my kids go to youth group like I went to. No, no way, no. never, no, no way, I, I, no way, no way. I agree. All but right, I also guys, don't hold my parents was... accountable. I mean, <laughs> it is what it is. Times were different. We, we uh, <laughs> man, what what a way to end the show. Hey, thank you so much for listening to us. And uh, also, please... guys, Christians are persecuted. I just want you to know. <laughs> good point. Also, good point. the statute of limitations has passed on all of that, so uh, please don't do anything with this recording. Yeah, don't, don't investigate any of our summer camps. Youth ministry used <laughs> to be wild, and Christians are persecuted. Yes. I didn't share yeah. a single story there on purpose. Wise. Yeah. Hey, we've all matured, though. I mean, we our generation of youth pastors – well, that's not true. We know some dumb people <laughs> yeah. our age, too. So anyways – uh, if you can, uh, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. If you haven't done so already, please share it with a friend. What do you, you mean if you can? Pod- subscribe. 
So some people just listen and don't subscribe. I don't know, but um, share it with a friend if you think this podcast is appropriate. <laughs> and uh, and if you join our book, it's not still not too late to join our book club. Go to our Facebook um, and join our book club. We would love for you to be a part of this book that we're reading. So when we talk about it March first, you can join our Facebook live. With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Andrew Larson, and I'm Timothy Miller. See you next week. Happy President's Day. Bye. I should have turned up my reverb. I'm Andrew Larson. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.